2: You're listening to the Purpose Made Podcast, a podcast dedicated to exploring the fundamental topics and key drivers for change within our global society today. This series is brought to you by Peter Bell, founder of Purpose Made, a strategic consultancy specializing in post-pandemic change and organizational transformation. Don't forget to click subscribe to hear all the latest news and views on our changed global society.
3: You know, instead of sharing the pizza among four people, we're going to share it among eight people. And so each person will get a a smaller slice. That might be okay if you switch from a small pizza to a really giant pizza. But the fact is, they didn't. They didn't increase the total pie at all. They're actually giving people more incentive to do things to to not pay taxes in fact
2: original conversations purpose made for you so sit back relax and we do hope you enjoy
4: Maurice Pearl radiates expertise, awareness, and wisdom. Chair of the Patriotic Millionaires and previously an MD at BlackRock, today he shares with me to share with you, our listeners, the amazing facts that have led to record levels of global inequality, the root cause of social unrest. Within this episode, Morris and I discuss the origins of the Patriotic Millionaires and their newest book, Tax the Rich, How Lies, Loopholes, and Lobbyists Make the Rich Even Richer, whilst he also provides a rare insider's view of how the rich and powerful have rigged an economic and political system in their favour whilst everyone else are left to foot the bill. This is a powerful, persuasive and thought-provoking conversation that you're not going to want to miss. So without further ado, please sit back, relax, and we do hope you enjoy. It's great to have you on. I've been reading your book and I was blown away by by it. um, There's so many parallels that can be drawn to what's happening in the UK and the work that you guys are doing. I've been following for a little while. I think ever since Abigail Disney wrote that article in The Guardian back in, um, I think it was April of last year, Yeah, you're doing amazing things, so I was really keen to get you on the call. Um, I think maybe to start the conversation... Obviously, you've had quite a, an amazing career pre the Patriotic Millionaires, and I guess like reading the book, one of the moments that stands out to me that seems to be the events that took place within Athens, Greece, kind of led you to kind of leave BlackRock and go on to be the chairman of the Patriotic Millionaires that you hold today. So kind of maybe explain what you were going through at that particular point in time and what led to that decision to be made.
3: Uh, sure, I'll step back a. Step. My major clients when I was a managing director at BlackRock were government agencies. I spent years working for the Fed here in the United States, our central bank, figuring out how much it was going to cost for the bailout of Citibank. And then we were hired to do similar projects for the Bank of England that was bailing out Lloyds and RPS, and also in the Republic of Ireland and in Greece. And so one day I was in Athens, Greece doing a due diligence meeting on the top floor of a bank headquarters in Athens, Greece, and we were having lunch and I stepped over to the big window so people wouldn't see. I was taking two chocolate puddings from the buffet and I thought I was watching a parade for a minute, marching down the street. And then I realized it was not a parade, it was actually a kind of a riot moving down the street. Towards uh, where Parliament was meeting, and I kind of turned around when I finished my chocolate pudding, and I looked at these couple of dozen bankers whose jobs we were hopefully saving by getting their bank bailed out, and I, I kind of thought to myself, "Am I really doing any good for the rest of the people of Greece outside of a few dozen bank executives?" And a few months later, I just decided I'd done as much as I could for the shareholders of BlackRock. And I had the good fortune to be in a position where I didn't actually have to work for a living anymore. I'd saved up enough money that I could do something else with my time. And I decided that doing this advocacy work, trying to change the government policies that are contributing to the gross inequality in our nation, would actually do more for my children and now granddaughter than, you know, making another few million dollars for them. And so that's what I've been doing since the beginning of 2014. I've been helping Erica, my co author, run this organization. And we've contributed towards government policies here in the United States, moving in favor of policies to reduce inequality in our nation. So that's where I am.
4: Yeah, exactly. And I, I, having read the book, I think um, one of the things that to help the narrative is in respect to um, the definition of of how you define rich. So just looking at like overarching numbers, how many members do you have at the moment? Um, What's the criteria of joining and how do the patriotic millionaires define rich? Because it's key to understanding the language of the book and the work that you do that rich has kind of almost like a threshold.
3: Yes. Yeah. First of all, when we talk about rich, we mean people who like earn like a million dollars a year at like a million one in euros or people who have millions of dollars in savings, like $5 million. I think we said, I mean, not that we audit our members, but you know, we, that's kind of what we mean by millionaires, people who either earn over a million dollars a year or people who have many millions of dollars saved up. We don't mean, Doctors who make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. You know, we don't even mean professional athletes who make, you know, a million dollars on an occasional good year. We mean people who are very rich. And we think that those are the people who need to speak out and need to be part of the conversation to change the way our government's going. And we have. I don't know the exact number. Somebody told me recently, but it's between two and three hundred actual members who contribute money to our organization you know, every year.
4: Because when reading the book, I guess like from an overarching stat, back in October 2020, it was noted that billionaires' wealth throughout the world had grown to $10.2 trillion amidst the COVID pandemic. And when reading your book, you talk about like the Three Amigos and the Forbes 400. So to people that aren't kind of up to speed with, with who you're mentioning, maybe kind of talk a little bit more about those guys.
3: Well, there's some people in our nation who are extraordinarily wealthy You know, Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, you know, Bill Gates. These are people who have wealth that it's hard to even comprehend. You know, the the analogy Erica uses is like if you're hungry one night after work and you order a pizza, that's great. And you might really enjoy eating your pizza. And if the pizza people give you a second pizza you know, maybe you'll even eat part of the second pizza. But if they send you like 10 pizzas, I mean, maybe you'll save one for tomorrow, but you don't really have any use for 10 pizzas. And if they send you 100 pizzas, I mean, you'll just have to throw them out because you can't even save 100 pizzas. And then if they send you a million pizzas, well, you don't even have any room to in your garbage can to throw out a million pizzas and send you a billion pizzas, well, even your local trash company can't haul away a billion pizzas. They can't even fit in the garbage trucks. So you actually have to hire workers to arrange for more trucks to haul away the billion pizzas to throw them in the garbage. Being that rich is a whole different story. It's a story of like having so much money You actually have to hire staff people to help you figure out how to give away your money. And that's what some of the very rich people in our nation do. It's inconceivable to many people the difference between a millionaire and a billionaire. It's not like, you know, doubling your money. It's multiplying your money by a thousand. You know, it takes a thousand millionaires to have as much money as one billionaire. You know, it's not like, oh, million, billion, what's the difference? Same thing. You know, it's a factor of a thousand in difference. And that's the kind of thing that's like people don't really comprehend clearly in their minds. And so we have such a level of inequality at a visceral level, at an emotional level. People are seeing that. I mean, they don't really care how much wealthier the rich people are, but what they're seeing is a loss of the opportunity. They're losing hope. They're, they're seeing the other people get ahead so much faster that there's just no hope for them. And if they've given up any hope, then they have no incentive to even be part of society or cooperate. It's like they have no hope to get ahead. And, you know, that's what we're trying to talk about in our book is why that's happening. And part of it is that those people who are very rich, those people who don't need to work because they have so much money, they also don't pay much taxes. Part of the reason why the riches compound is because if you are making a certain amount of money, if the worker makes the same amount of money but has to pay taxes on a lot of it, and the investor doesn't pay tax at all. Well, the following year, the investor is that much richer because he can save some of his money not having to pay taxes. And then the second year, the investor makes even more money because he needs more money to invest. And that difference compounds so much over time that those of us who are wealthy, those of us who have money invested in the stock market, that just, I mean, not, it has ups and downs, but over the long term, it compounds at such an amount that it leaves behind all the rest of the people who don't have enough money to save and invest. And it makes the disparity just so great that it really discourages people. And people end up with just no hope of getting ahead. And that's the problem.
4: And the disparity is is so clearly apparent in respect to like the three wealthiest americans now have more wealth than the bottom half of the country combined which is insane and you know i remember reading a little while ago an article by nick i can't remember his last name but he talked about the pitchfork story and and i think in respect to that like that's an interesting tale to tell because we're respect to such gross inequality that we're seeing within society today not just within america but throughout the world We've known from history that this doesn't end well.
3: Yeah, I mean, you're talking about Nick Hanauer. Yeah, he wrote a famous article in which he said that the pitchforks are coming for us. And, you know, he was referring to the famous scene in the Frankenstein, Dr. Frankenstein movie, you know, where the townspeople are just revolting and and some of them are carrying pitchforks. And, yeah, that's what I'm afraid of in the long run is that People here in the United States and the United Kingdom, too, for that matter, are just going to stop putting up with this stuff and the rich getting richer and are going to revolt. And we've seen that happen in different times. You know, I was saying that during my lifetime, when I was a teenager in South Africa, they used to have a system where they enforced gross inequality. They called it apartheid. And eventually the people just stopped putting up with it and they couldn't deal with it anymore. And that did not end well for the rich people. And I'm afraid that we here in the United States are seeing people just, just rejecting the system and they can reject it, you know, in any of a number of directions politically, Um, whether it's the right or the left, it's kind of doesn't make any difference. They're totally or it makes a big difference in a lot of ways, but in both ways, they're rejecting the system and insisting that we have some revolutionary change. And I don't think that will end well for any of us.
4: And it's, it's, I guess, like the indicators of societal injustice is, is apparent in respect to, you know, the, the rising addiction to opioids, like there's 2.5 million people addicted to opioids in the US today In the UK. There's huge volumes in respect to addiction of drug addiction here as well, you know, like death and despair is quite apparent and it's in respect to alcohol, drugs and suicide in the US. It's, it's, I believe it's at the highest records ever And life expectancy. This is a key indicator because, in some of the developed countries and parts of the world that we see today, life expectancy is reducing. Like the UK, it's, redu- it's reduced to a forty-year low. That it's you know it's it's insane. And at the same time, you know we see billionaires' wealth rise when I believe over 100 million people have sunk into extreme poverty. And, you know, you see issues of inflation rising, poverty rates, suicide, life expectancy. It, it, you can't have that correlation between the small minority doing like insanely well off a skewed system whilst the rest of us suffer. And I think that's where it gives us an opportunity to talk about the act that was introduced by Donald Trump's administration in 2017 and kind of the realities from both a personal level in respect to income and wealth and kind of some of the tax tricks that are taking place there. And also from a corporate side, like what are corporations doing to kind of avoid taxation?
3: Yeah. First of all, yes, since 2018, which has been um, roughly four years ago. I'm wealthier than I was then, and I've not been working. I've been spending my money quite rapidly, actually. But my wealth, because of my stock market investments, has been increasing faster than I've been able to spend the money. And, you know, I live pretty well here in New York City. So that's fine for me. And part of the reason for that is because Corporate tax rates are lower than they were then. So the money that I invest in corporations, the investors like me are getting a bigger share. And the people through their government, through their, that they collect through taxes are getting a smaller share than they used to. That means more is going to investors like me and less is going to everyone else in the aggregate. And the theory on the Republican side who passed that, the Republican Party being the party that passed it, their theory was, well, that's okay because the total amount of profits is going to go up so fast that even though we take a smaller share, we'll get a bigger actual piece. Kind of like if back in the pizza analogy, you know, if somebody said, You know, instead of sharing the pizza among four people, we're going to share it among eight people, and so each person will get a a smaller slice. That might be okay if you switch from a small pizza to a really giant pizza, but the fact is, they didn't. They didn't increase the total pie at all. They're actually giving people more incentive to do things to to not pay taxes. In fact, in our book, tax the rich. We talked about some examples of corporations kind of using accounting tricks to kind of say they're earning their income in other countries like Ireland, for instance. You know, I remember when it was public that Starbucks paid no taxes in the United States, there were people protesting in Westminster. And because everyone knew that it was just ridiculous that this company that was selling coffee in every street corner you know, in the city of London, could claim that all of the profits were actually made in Ireland through the they claimed that the logos and the intellectual property was owned by an Irish affiliate and they could pay royalties and transfer pricing and this and that. But everyone knew that was ridiculous. And even the Starbucks executive did. So they agreed to send the UK government, you know, a bunch of money. And, you know, the same thing happens in the United States, too. We have a lot of companies, whether it's Starbucks or pharmaceutical companies or, you know, dozens of big profitable companies pay essentially no taxes at all because they're able to make up stuff that says all their profits are earned in some other countries that have much lower tax rates. You know, and that's just companies getting away with things because that's how the laws work. So we have to change the laws.
4: Because it's like, you know, there's, you talk about in the book, the things like the double Irish Dutch sandwich, which sounds like an amazing thing, but it's actually really sinister. And then you've got the, um, you know, you talk about IP, which is international profit shifting from territories. And there's loads of examples. And I guess the the negative part of it is not only has corporation tax in America been reduced from 35% um, since the Tax Cut and Jobs Act was introduced down down to 21%, but there's also a lot of companies that through some of these mechanisms, these known loopholes that you talk about really eloquently within the book, that they're being just utilized and used to at the end of the day, there's an, there's an awful lot of Fortune 500 companies that are paying zero tax.
3: And that's not good um, because it's not fair to all the other companies where people are doing things correctly and that they can't afford to do this. Your you know, local ice cream shop on High Street doesn't have any way to claim that their profits are earned in Ireland instead of where they actually are. So they have to pay full freight in income taxes. And that means that they have a different basis than the large multinational company that has branches all over the place. And that gives the big companies an advantage over your regular businesses started by entrepreneurs in their local communities. And that's true in the United States and the United Kingdom. And that's a bad thing. So we'd like to change it.
1: Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door.
4: And it's it's like when I remember when um, Rutger Bregman said when he was presenting at the, I think it was Davos um, World Economic Forum in, in 2019, he talked about what we must do as an industry to prevent a broad societal backlash and he just focused on it and he was just like tax, 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 all the rest is bullshit. And that statement is so true because if if we don't get on top of tax, there's there's not just billions being taken away from society, there's trillions being taken away. And because of that, we're not able to do investments into health, education, roads, infrastructure, all of the baselines that we see from a, you know, generally happy, well-managed society. And, uh, and because of that, we're, we're we're seeing a lot of issues. Are they ever going to be fixed? Who knows? And who's ultimately going to be held accountable for this? Like I think when you and Erica talked in one of your presentations I was watching, you, you said there was like three options. There's like the millionaires, billionaires and corporations are going to foot the bill post-COVID or it's going to be you or I as individuals or it's just not going to take place at all and I think where we are at the moment is we're in a process of radical change where we are seeing a lot of people take drastic action and almost go for a period of awakening to see that actually there is a better way and there is we are able to solve some of these issues and I guess in order to jump on board and address some of the issues we have to face some of the lies that are being told to society at the moment and I think one of the ones that always stood out to me is and also one of the favorites that's been used by corporations is that they're job creators and I think in respect to that that the the positive sounding statements differ quite dramatically to the dark and sinister realities of of the untold story and you know I think if maybe give some examples like the likes of AT&T or Toys R Us and
3: well, yeah, I mean, it'd be great if it was true, but it's just not. You know, the example that Erica put in the book had to do with AT&T, the guy, you know, who was the head of it, Randall Stevenson, went and said, oh, the correlation between tax cuts and job growth is very, very tight. And it's just not true. You know, they actually fired. Hundreds of thousands of people or tens of thousands of people after they got a tax cut. They have fewer employees than they did when their taxes were higher. Um, He made tens of millions of dollars, so it's worked out well for him. I mean, but just think about it. If you have a business, you sell something, you know, you pay your expenses, including your workers' salaries. What's left is Profit. Part of that profit goes to pay taxes, and part is cut by the owners. Now, if you reduce the amount of taxes, that increases the amount of the owners. It doesn't affect these things up here about how much you sell and how much you spend on your employees. Regardless of what the tax rate is, companies hire people if those people can generate more profits, enough profits to justify their salaries and wages. And that's true regardless of the tax rate. If you had no taxes at all, corporations, a corporation would look at how much profit a new employee could generate and decide to hire that person on that basis. If the tax rate was 99%, the corporation would still rather increase its profits and keep 1% of the increase rather than not increase their profits and not increase how much the owners get to keep. So it doesn't make any difference what the tax rate is. The logic of whether or not to hire an employee is exactly the same. I'm an investor and, you know, I invest money in companies like Apple, for instance, and I have hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of Apple stock. That stock is worth a lot more now than it was when I bought it, which is great for me. My buying the stock did not help Apple at all. You know, I paid money for the stock, but it went to some other investor who was selling it that particular day. What makes money for Apple is all those people who are lined up to buy a new iPhone when the new iPhone comes out. Those are the people who actually create jobs for all the workers who are making computers and iPhones and all the other things that Apple does. It doesn't make any difference to Apple whether I buy the stock or sell the stock or don't buy it at all. You know whether I'm the owner of Apple or some other investors, the owner of Apple does not affect them. So it's just the idea that somehow the fact that I'm buying stock in the stock market that helps create jobs, and therefore I deserve to pay lower taxes than the people who actually have those jobs. You know, it's just ridiculous. I mean, there's no jobs I helped create, with the possible exception of my co-author Erica, who. You could argue that I was helping.
4: Yeah, exactly. And I think that's the thing. So many people look to the likes of the stock market and and believe that that's the key indicator for um, how successful a society or a political economy is, take, is, is actually doing. But, you know, we just have to look back to the likes of Milton Friedman back in the 70s when he famously said that corporations only had one objective, to make the shareholders as much money as possible, no matter what cost. And the costs we are witnessing today is destabilizing levels of, of inequality, mortality, rising addictions, reductions of rights and freedoms, and, and reductions of life ex- expectancy. And and I guess like when people are listening to the podcast, the question I ask you all is: Are you okay with this? Because what capitalism is sh- showing me at the moment is it's in crisis, and we shouldn't be we should be questioning an ideology that's firstly founded in the seventies that's unaware of the realities that we've witnessing within the present and somehow continues to dictate our futures and the challenges that we'll face. And I think that, um, you know, there's, there's nothing, I guess, like a global pandemic and worldwide recession and international like in- injustice and the glooming fears of a climate catastrophe that's, that, that leads to periods of clarity and change. And I think where we are at the moment, we are in that position to change. And I think, Going on to that, like, how would you look to fix the issues and address the problems that we face driven by some of these taxations and the change of the tax code in America and and, and wider afield? Like, what, what would your suggestions be?
3: Well, I mean, there's a lot of things that could be changed, and I'm not an expert in all of them. But what I'm thinking is that we need to change our tax code here in America so that People who make money from investments pay the same percentage on the money they make from their investments as people who work for a living make on the money they make from their labor. That would actually make a very big difference towards lowering, at least lowering the rate of increase of inequality in our nation. So that's that's one of the fundamental ideas that we have. You know, currently, we think part of the problem is caused by the fact that people who are already rich basically don't need any income. And so they don't pay any income taxes. You know, I could sit here in front of my computer and, you know, see the values of my stock go up and up and up and up and even withdraw money from my brokerage account to spend and still not have any taxable income. Because according to our definition here in the United States, income only comes if I actually sell some stocks. Whereas I can just withdraw money from my account and run up a debit balance. And yes, after I die, my estate will have to sell some of the stock to pay off the balance, and that's fine. Um, but no one will ever pay any taxes on that because the, there would be no capital gains tax after I die, according to US law. So it's just, Ridiculous that I cannot work at all, make lots of money, and pay no taxes, whereas most people listening to this have money deducted from their paycheck every single week, and that's why they're not getting ahead. And people who are already rich are getting farther and farther ahead.
4: Yeah, and I guess you know, you've, there's also a discussion on a wider impact of the likes of a wealth tax as well. And you know, we we could <laughs> simplistically we could make corporations pay their taxes that where they actually make the profits and and end profit um, shifting, which has taken place. And, you know, also, I guess, comes to the point of political parties as well, like the Republicans and the Conservatives, like those unwilling to change. Like we as voters, we have the opportunity to vote them out. What happened in in America? Like you got rid of Donald Trump and then you, you brought in Biden. And I believe that in the UK, that moment of reckoning is, is kind of quickly coming towards the Conservative Party as well. In respect to You know the implications that we've that we face by having unequal societies. It's they're just they're shown in history. They just do not last. And sadly, the power and money has been concentrated in the hands of too few people for too long. And as a result, the world, the society, the economy is is largely unstable. And I remember reading back in 2018 there was a UN World Happiness Report that was released. And it showed that like those countries that have the highest level of happiness are the ones that have the most progressive tax systems and economies that are generated from more equal return. And, and that's the opportunity we have in front of us. Now we have, we have so much evidence that shows that, um, you know, it's by continuing along this path, it doesn't, it doesn't work out for anyone. So we have an opportunity to change. And, and that's why I was really interested to get you on the call today because the work you're doing is amazing and it's 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 much more far-reaching than than just the us it's it's globally and what we as um of, as people have the opportunity to do we like covid's given us this period of pandemic-induced reflection an opportunity to look holistically at how our world is is evolving around us and i think we have a real good opportunity to go forth and and create some radical change that's needed because you know we can't rely on these like philanthropic sporadic donations of um billionaires to kind of solve the world's problems you know like patagonia donating like 10 million pounds for example um 10 was it 10 million dollars i think that's that's just a drop in the ocean of the amount of money that's required to fix some of the issues that we that's ahead of us and i think um yeah the work you you guys are doing is is resonating not just with me but I throughout the world and yeah we really thank you so much for your time for your honesty and i encourage everybody to who's listening to this podcast to check out the work of the patriotic millionaires please do read the book it's a it's an amazing book and if you want to kind of get in touch with them you can go to like um patriotic millionaires or go to the tax the rich website and yeah please get involved because this is um i believe we're at the beginning of a very very good journey ahead
3: yeah thank you
2: Thank you for listening to the Purpose Made podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to Purpose Made wherever you normally get your podcasts to hear the latest news and views. You can also find and follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter or contact Peter directly to connect, inquire about Purpose Made or request to be featured on the podcast. We look forward to welcoming you back soon for another episode.